Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to part two of this week's Clash of the Titles, Fanuary, the podcast that this January pits two movies with something in common, picked by fans of the show, and puts them in a fight to the death to see which one comes out victorious. On Monday's episode, we went early in our celebration of frickin' Rex Manning Day as we talked Empire Records, which means today we're sadly not travelling to the back streets of Camden like in the book it's based on, but instead heading to breezy Chicago as we talk 2000's High Fidelity. Excuse me, I was in... In a minute. Couldn't you be any more obvious than that, Rob? How about, uh, I don't know, The Beatles? How about fucking, fucking Beethoven? Track one, side one of the Fifth Symphony. How can someone who has no interest in music own a record store? Can you still have that, uh, beef our French import safe as well? Um, ah, yes, here it is. How much you want for it? Oh, no. You know what? I don't think I'm selling it this week. Maybe next week. Oh, no. You said that last week. Did I? So which film will be going on our mixtape of awesome and which will be thrown in the bargain bin? We'll have a winner at the end of the show. So let's get it on. Welcome to Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Hello, Clash Butters. What really matters is what you like, not what you are like. Mm. I'm Alex Zane. More on that later. I'm Vicky Crompton. It's correct. Uh, I'm Chris Tilly. It really is. It really is. Yep. You define yourself by what you like. It was such an eye-opener for mm. me. It's like a handbook for to get your way through men in bars in the noughties. <laughs> <laughs> so this is part two of our second Clash of the Titles fanuary, and it's a record store ruckus that is Empire Records versus High Fidelity, as you well know, one film will be declared the winner in the verdict at the end of this show. Uh, Once again, who do we have to thank for this week's Clash? Chris? Dean Tipton, Gavin Thomas, David Nelcook and Rich Cracknell. Thank you all very much. There is still time to get your own pairing in. Uh, We have uh, now found out from Chris that Fanuary is full, but there is still February Fanny, which is Mm. what, Chris? Uh, Well, we kept February Fanny open. Right. Wide open, I heard. Wide open. Mm. 
Uh, because it's the month of love. It is the month of love. Uh, so uh, one of you lucky Clash Potters will be picking our Valentine pairing this year. So make it a good one. Mm. Unless we don't get any good ones and we'll just come up with we'll something. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just fucking do it, all right? <laughs> yeah, that's the way it works. I'm not having a shit week. Yeah. We've had too many of them. Yeah, so don't let us down. Uh, email them to show at clashpod.com. Right then, shall we do this? On Monday, we were on a sugar high, which means today it's a high of a different kind. Fidelity. V, take us on a journey. Rob Gordon is such a dick, <laughs> but he's John Cusack, so we love him. This pathetically entitled gatekeeping arsehole who's an absolute nightmare to every single woman unfortunate enough to cross his path, and I include his mum in that, cannot for the life of him understand why women run flying into the arms of anyone else rather than him. And so we get to join him on a tour of his top five breakups where he's chuffed to realise that the exes were either awful, not anyone he was ever really bothered about, or struggling with mental health issues and therefore he considers that a bullet dodged while celebrating himself for not having sex with an emotionally vulnerable woman in revenge for her having the fortitude to leave him years ago. But ergo, the problem still isn't with him. But it all weirdly works out because his kind of ex's dad dies, which leaves her too exhausted to be fucked with the whole breakup thing and also hankering after an actual exhausted fuck. So even though he hasn't really earned it, they're back on. And Rob starts to realise that fantasising about other perfect women with better perfect lingerie is a stupid babyish waste of an existence and does some growing and settles into maturity. Not exactly a good guy, but certainly a better one than when we first met him. But just to be clear, because the casting in this film muddies the message for any Rob Gordons listening... Unless you are also John Cusack, then what you are like is much more important than what you like. We'll leave you because of what you're like, because you're an emotionally abusive sociopath. Ta-da! She's not understood it, is she? No. <laughs> well, let's just get this done. No. What are you talking about? Let's get this done. It's now. what you like. Did you ever think that Rob Gordon was a good guy? Ever? How many times have you seen it? Sorry, I'll jump in ahead. I've read, I read the book first, yeah. but I didn't read it when it came out. Mm-hmm. I remember this huge fuss when it was adapted that it was moving to the US and that would that compromise Rob as a character because it's quite it felt like quite a British thing and all the bands he liked were very British and all the rest of it. And then I saw I've seen it a couple of times and it translates beautifully. So this kind of whining baby man mm. really does cross across the oceans very well, so it's fine. So what I just wanted to clear up was I know like let's speak truthfully, did you ever think he was a good guy or not? Not the casting, just the character, like I read the book when I was a teenager. Yeah, me too. So I don't remember. I remember thinking, I don't remember thinking he was a dick in the book. And I remember okay. watching this movie when it first came out, shortly after it first came out, like 2001. Mm. And I was a little bit too young to fully appreciate some of the emotions that Rob was going through, but it was John Cusack. So at no point until I read a Vice article about how much of a dick he was. Wow. Did I ever think Rob was a dick? No, you must have done it. Even with the things he says and does. There's a moment where you you can't possibly... When Penny Hardwick says to him, I was basically raped because of you, and he's like, oh, but I left you! (laughs) Awesome! I think he's a dick because he goes back to Laura. So I I think that's a dick thing to do because she has sex with Ian after she said, I haven't had sex with him, and realises how... Like upset it will make him, yeah. and still has sex with him when it's clear at that point she has feelings for him. So he shouldn't go back to Laura, and that's what makes him a dick. <laughs> that's my hot take. Uh, no, t- t- let's, <laughs> let's speak without judgment. If, if you're being serious, you're being serious. That's fine. Um, 
Okay, fine. Chris, when did you see it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll get to why you can't possibly like Rob that much in this film, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, I, like Alex, I read the book when I was a teenager. I found myself laughing at Rob a lot and yet seeing a lot of myself in him, but it was less to do with how he treated women and more to do with the fact that he just wanted to think about music all the time and make lists. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all his sort of ambitions and things were the same as mine. Um, and I did become a list writer basically for a living. Chris, I say, like, pure, I became a list writer at one point, but it turns out I was suffering from depression. I'm not okay. joking. <laughs> and I became obsessive about lists. I, uh, and once uh, my uh, depression had lifted, I, I stopped making lists. What? So uh, I associated I, it with that. I, I still quite like writing lists. Okay. I write less of them now, but that was my job at IGN for about 10 years, was writing movie lists. <laughs> That's so what, true. What list? Were you writing shopping lists? What were you? Oh, God, lists like, just to get through the day. Because I was like, get up, get dressed, because I, ne- I needed it to be on a list, otherwise it wouldn't happen. No, I, and this was my, I was getting paid. Yeah, that's true. Okay. I wasn't. Okay. And it made me feel like I'd achieved something because I would get up and I'd be like, well, that's a tick. So I'm good. Wow. <laughs> yeah. When was this? Since um, we've known each other? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. When we lived in that house in, uh, I had a bit of an episode when we lived in that house in Manor Park. Yeah. And I remember a lot of lists around that time. The one where you told me never to masturbate in the shower because you bathed in there and you didn't want to get pregnant. <laughs> Which gives you some insight to my state of mind. <laughs> A, I deny it wholeheartedly, but B, that's clearly not. <laughs> I think I was just going through some shit, man. Yeah. yeah. I wish I'd known. I'm sorry, what was I to tell just you? Like, how fuck you? Odd. <laughs> how very strange. <laughs> I, I've sat in lectures There's with her and she's yeah. clever. <laughs> Crow. <laughs> yeah. It was just, you just came out with it. Like, we were living together for the first time. I was moving into had your I had place. Any sleep? I don't know. <laughs> But none of that was made clear to me before you said the fucking weirdest thing you've ever said to me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I was um, I was suspicious of the film when I heard it was going to be Americanized because yeah. so many times we see that happen and they, it loses something in translation. But then I watched the film at the cinema and absolutely loved it. Yeah, there's loads of... I mean, I'll do some of the background, but there's. So I've lifted a lot of this from an oral history that's on the interweb by a writer called Andrew Buss that goes into a lot of detail. And, you know, the, the writers that adapted it, they were just so enmeshed in that Chicago music scene that maybe if someone else had done it and transposed it to wherever in America, it might not have felt as authentic but Nick Hornby was really pleased with it you know it, it was it's a brilliant adaptation yes. and it loses nothing by moving and, and we do get quite parochial don't we but Nick Hornby's like our writer he's our person and especially if you know those London streets as well you just be like no you can't move it and it just works brilliantly but you've got three writers with you know the lived experience of that scene and all the rest of it so that's maybe one of the reasons it works so very well mm, I wish I'd been to Chicago because when you hear them talk about it they're like there are a lot of similarities between Chicago and North London these yeah. little record stores mm. these little counterculture streets and all of that so I've never been there. Been we there? should do a live show there. Yeah. Well, if anyone's listening in Chicago we'll have who, us. who can fly us out <laughs> yeah. and put us up. And, and as a venue for a venue. at least 5,000 mm, people. I would say at least. At yeah. least. I've, we are Better to go Chicago. small, isn't it? Yeah, really? And it's full rather than typical. do the 10,000. It, it's our big in Japan. We're big in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. No one can check. No one will know. <laughs> yeah. No one knows if that's true. No one knows. Check. You can't. We're big in Chicago. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) All right. So, as we know, it is based on the Nick Hornby novel. It was adapted by John Cusack, D.V. DeVincentis and Steve Pink, which supersedes this version that I talked about on the other show. There was a Mm. version by Scott Rosenberg, who we know from Con Air. Because Mike Newell had optioned the book... 
And then Disney were going to make it with him, for him. And the Scott Rosenberg version was going to be for Mike Newell. But then through the sort of Disney like tentacles, the music supervisor, Kathy Nelson, she reads it. She's worked with John Cusack and his writing team on Gross Point Blank. <laughs> she says she thought of John Cusack. He is actually this guy, <laughs> which I think, <laughs> beat Rob Gordon, it's quite a harsh thing to say about your friend. It's a weird There thing. are some stories about John Cusack. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> I was going to talk about this, but like... It's weird, isn't I it? I can never escape the Danny Trejo interview where he talks mm. about working with Cusack on Con Air and he says there's something behind his eyes that scared me. This is Danny Trejo. Yeah. He has scary a bad- Danny Trejo. And it's like, he could break your ribs. He's one of the scariest men I've ever met. And you watch him in this yeah. as Rob Gordon. And I, I mean, in any film, I can never shake that having heard it. I really wish I'd never heard that interview. Yeah. But I always see... This little bit of demon yeah. in John Cusack now. I know what and you And so, mean. especially in a role where he's basically playing a psychopath, mm. you're just like, this is fucking too much. What it is, is it's not, for me, it's not the sort of the coiled spring thing of like violence. It's the emptiness of like Patrick Bateman kind mm. of thing. Like yeah. he's not quite all with you. Mm. And where is his mind going when he's having these conversations with you? It's so weird. I think it's when he breaks the fourth wall as well. It's like you're watching a... Cusack apparently didn't really want to do the fourth wall stuff when it was originally suggested no. to him because he said it would be too much him, which sounds like a man who knows he's a psychopath. And he's like, <laughs> it would expose me. <laughs> but there are bits where he's looking at the camera and you look in his eyes and you're like, emptiness. I just, it's an emptiness I, there. I just, I'm so scared. And yet he's so lovable. Yeah. Like, so this Rob Gordon thing that we'll talk about at length there are some things he's saying and doing where you're like, that is not cool. But because you're John Cusack, it's kind of okay. Mm. I don't know. Like, I think it's good casting. I think I that think works. it's good casting, but I do think it, it. I when I read the book, I thought Rob Gordon was a dick, and that was it. Then when I saw the film, I was like, at some points, I like you, and I wouldn't. That, I'm not supposed to like you. Yeah, but I think that's good because all these girls like him, mm. don't yeah, they? they? So, do. did yeah. you read this Vice article that I told you about? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the interesting thing because apparently, like, I can't remember the book it was so long ago when I read it, but apparently in the book, it's made a lot clearer yeah. that he's a dick, and in the movie, because it's Cusack, that gets diluted. Mm. But until about he, half an hour in, well, exactly when they tell us, and yeah, he actually says, "I'm a fucking asshole." Yeah, that people just seem to sort of go, "Yeah, that's just because he, he lies to you for the first half hour of the film, and then you learn the truth." And they said, "That's the moment of no return for I mean, me." It's it's earlier for me. It's with Penny when he's like, "We were dating," and she wouldn't put out. And straight away, you're like, well, then you're a dick. Like, she's a nice girl. And he's like, so I left her because I wasn't getting what I wanted. And but when that's you... in a million movies. That's like, that's yeah, a trope. I... Yeah, I know. And I don't think that's cool either. <laughs> like... But I think that wasn't... You don't, the... want, you don't want to have sex? What? <laughs> I don't. I don't think you can. De- I don't think you can demonize someone for being like a, a high schooler or however old he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, no, that that's point, fair. Yeah, and, and be like, you know, that's what guys did but at that point. They were like, oh, have you took the thing? Yeah, it's like that's a, that's just a thing. But it's off the back of this pity party of like, why do people keep leaving me? Well, there's mm. a clue. Like you left her because she wouldn't do what you wanted her to do. So maybe you're not a, br- a great person. Like, yeah, but he was. He's so young in that flashback, yeah. and I'm comfortable with that. Like, mm. it's fine. But I'm just like, you're not a good person, and that's okay because that's why this film is so good because you go on that journey with him and because John Cusack is an excellent actor by the time he has done some learning and growing you're like I've seen it happen like in real time kind of thing it's amazing yeah, yeah and also it's about narratives as well isn't it because he there's that whole section where he goes I'm a fucking arsehole because I slept with someone else when she was pregnant she terminated the pregnancy as a result of that mm-hmm. borrowed $4,000 all the rest of that that whole mm. and thing. told her I was looking for someone else and you like, yeah, <laughs> that, and, and you've spent half an hour thinking that he was the victim in this mm. and he yeah. was but, but you hear all that and you're like well that 
that's irredeemable. But then you hear the context of how that happened yeah, yeah. and what he knew and what he didn't know. Yeah. And then you also see her best friend like have a go at him about having all this information. But she's only party to whatever Laura has told her. Yeah, yeah. In that, you know, her story might not have been the entire truth because her narrative is going to be different. Yeah, it's very grown up. Mm. So, uh, as we know, um, it was the book set in London. Mike Newell kind of wants it to be in London. I read it's just because he wanted to make a movie to be near his family. (laughs) Um, But obviously, John Cusack and team want to move it to Chicago. So then we get Stephen Frears. (laughs) There's a quote from Stephen Frears about, you know, John Cusack and his writing team had to pitch to him and they're like, it's set in Chicago. And Stephen Frears said, well, that's not a very good idea. And then I read the script and I read the book and I thought, well, that's perfectly all right. <laughs> Which is really... He, yeah. he, I got the money and everything <laughs> yeah. was fine. He's the most hilariously grumpy man yeah. I've ever interviewed in my life. And I'm sure you've got some quite Like, the quotes, I can just hear him saying it when he talks about this film. Yeah. They, they had to pair him with a very nice person for me to interview him so that that person could sort of take the air out of the room oh, or just sh- shut up Steve just calm him just down joking. yeah it was T- Tams and Greig do you know this yeah, actress yeah. yeah she was paired with him and, and I could I, before I'd only wanted to speak to him and then when I was in the room I was like oh thank god this woman's here because <laughs> this is terrifying and awful there's some brilliant quotes like people I think it was either Jack Black or Todd Louisa was like I don't know if I'm any good at this because he doesn't seem for like famously doesn't give out compliments mm. which I understand like you're busy working you have to tell everybody they're brilliant all well, the time well it's whether you're an actor's director or not and he clearly isn't but he but he he does, he does know how to get a brilliant performance from mm. people because this is full of really good performances and especially from Jack Black although I don't think it was him who said that but basically one day he took someone aside he's like look just to be clear if I don't say it's terrible I think it's brilliant it's like that's great like, I love people like that <laughs> that's good yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I haven't said it's awful so it yeah. must be amazing yeah. so then that's how um, we operate no one ever says oh, yeah. anyone's terrible <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so therefore yeah. we're always brilliant it's always a surprise so it's like no I, do, I really thought that was good what <laughs> yeah, you did yeah. mm. <laughs> and you're doing well by the way <laughs> Going. So I'm really enjoying this episode. Oh, thank you. Uh, so it was written with voiceover, as you can probably imagine, uh, because they wanted to keep verbatim some of the stuff from the book, which I should on paper be like, you don't get to do that because you're adapting a book. But obviously the what Nick Hornby has written is excellent. Um, but Stephen Frears was the person that said to um, DVD Vincentis that maybe it would be direct address because voiceover is just, it would be too much of it, basically. Um, I think I like it, contrary to my type, because it's so confessional. I hate direct, I generally hate direct address Uh and breaking the fourth wall. Well, it's done well here. I mean, on Monday, we talked about how bad it's done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But why is it done well? It can't just be because the the lead is so engaging. It's because, and a lot of times it's done so poorly when someone's like, this is where I work and this is what I do. And it's like, fuck me, I can see that. That's in Mm. front of me. But he's telling you stuff that's really personal. And I think it's the way it's structured as well. Like when it pops up, it feels exactly the right moment. And the fact that it starts with it as well, so it doesn't come as a shock like 20 minutes in when he suddenly turns to camera, it opens with him talking to you. Because then it feels cheap. Then it feels like someone's gone through it in post and gone, this doesn't work, so let's stick this in in the middle. And also, what we're seeing is often undermining or contradicting what he's saying, which is a good way to use that address to camera. Yeah, that's so true. And it's in the tradition of Alfie as well. I feel like this is an Alfie kind of story, and it worked there, and it worked. Yeah, there's only about five times it's worked in history, but this is definitely one of them. Ferris Bueller works as well. And just a bit about Jack Black. So, 
John Cusack knew him from Tenacious D. Tenacious D had just been picked up by HBO, so that was going really well for him. And he didn't want this part because he knew it would be massive and he knew it would change his life and all of this. So he kept saying, Stephen Frizz like, I want him. I can see what you can mm. do. Let's just do it. He was. He also said, like, if, if I'm in a <laughs> film where I'm slagging off Kurt Cobain and, and all these artists I respect and I'm trying to make Tenacious D work as a band to be taken seriously, I'm going to screw everything up. Yeah. Which I can kind of see. But yeah. then he sort of later on, he says, I was just frightened that I wasn't good enough. Yeah, I was saying this, but actually, I just didn't have the confidence. This is where I discovered Drac Black. I hadn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know him before. Well, this. we didn't realise you, you didn't realise you'd seen him in all these films because he was in a lot of stuff. Like the Jackal, he'd, he'd, he'd have like two lines in a ton of films, but this is where he just exploded. My main memory of this film is everyone being like, yeah. have you seen this Jack Black person? 100% and I remember he, that as well. He yeah. ran away with it, really. And then obviously now we're so much more used to that performance, but it would just mm. took the roof off. He's like, who is this guy? Yeah, we thought he was acting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's it for now. Shall we talk about the film? Fuck yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here I we love go. Rob Gordon. Do you? Yeah. I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what came first, the musical or the misery? So, Rob is miserable because he doesn't yet know what a twatty is, <laughs> and it's making him sad. <laughs> He's going through. Yet another breakup with Laura, played by Eben Hayala. Um, and he, I love when he shouts out the window, if you really wanted to mess me up, you should have got to me earlier. Great line. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah, brilliant. So we break the fourth wall and we're going to talk about the five <coughs> most memorable breakups ever. Like I said, I like this because it's confessional and it's funny and it's stuff you wouldn't know, which is cheating because it's a film, not a book, but it all works and it's fine. So we've got Alison, number one. That was like a little child snog. She met someone else. Number two, Penny. We'll obviously come back to Penny because it's all bad. It's all dreadful. Uh, number three, Charlie, a very stunning Catherine Zeta-Jones she was too much for him, so he basically goaded her to leave him. So she did because she's hot <laughs> and she can. And then number four was Sarah, but really they were just scared to be alone. She's quite sweet and weird. And then number five is Laura, but she's not on the list right now. But she will earn her place on that list after moving in with Tim Robbins. Mm. <laughs> Ian slash Ray. <laughs> mm. He's excellent. Anyway, but we need to meet the real star, which is Championship Records. Um, I like. I mean. This is a really snobby thing to say. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Empire Records is CDs, and it's like I remember, you know, loving CDs, but now you know, vinyl is just vinyl is something else entirely, and it's better. And this record store is better than Empire Records because it's only vinyl. Mm. But I mean, this was not my childhood at all experience. My, the period I was in the record <coughs> store every week, it was the CD period. I'm yeah. sad to say. So it's only now I go to the odd record store and I feel like I'm. Being a stupid I know, hipster that's the thing. for doing it's all, it. It's all Have you got any gin blossoms? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. That's how, li- that's how little secret, Alex. <laughs> I don't want anyone finding out about that. Um, and then we're also introduced to Marie de Salle, played by Lisa Bonet. And this scene always threw me. The three of them are at her gig and they're all like, oh my God, I'd love to see a musician. I'd love that. And it, that always, I've always found that weird. It always sounds and looks like an absolute nightmare. She's gorgeous and she's mysterious mm. and she's everything. But going out with a musician, absolutely I re- not. I remember reading that in the book and thinking, yeah, that sounds cool. Mm. <laughs> because the way, he descri- it. the way he describes it, you'd get to go to gigs all the time. Mm. She'd be singing to you from the stage. Oh, and yeah. then she'd write, as he said, she'd write you a song maybe. Oh, You're she? worried because you'd feel like a groupie and we 
we know how you feel oh, yeah. in the groupie. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course it is. You'd be, God, you'd be playing second fiddle to yeah. someone else the whole time, being yeah. at the side of stage, <laughs> clapping she... them on, going, yep, well, I'm, can... I'm with them. How can she... They are my partner. How can she clap if she's playing fiddle? Welcome to 2023, people. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we just got up a gear. Yeah? You thought 2022 was our best year yet? That's what we're bringing. <laughs> Maybe that's a good time for a break. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Going to talk a little bit about um, Dick and Barry, though. Go on. They strike me now watching them as they're they're basically internet trolls, aren't they? They live in yes. their own echo chamber, mocking anyone that doesn't have the same opinions as them. Yeah. I mean, I still like them. Dick Lesso, he's not as you know. He recommends um, music to that girl, doesn't he? That she's he's just she, less aggressive. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, you're not. I right, don't know. Yeah. I think I think of the two, Dick is probably more of an internet troll. Well, 
we were me and Nikki were talking about this and Chris before you arrived. Like, we, it was no, oh, sorry. Cool. I'm sorry, I was no, no, fucking no, we, late. No, because it's, you he, if he's heard it, no, you weren't. We were early. It's about the tyranny of the playlist. Let's talk about that for a minute. Right. So, when I was a, a young girl, <laughs> when I was a young maiden, people used to make me mixtapes, and I would always find it really awkward and intimidating and like quite twitchy because. You, it's that classic thing of like you're expressing yourself through somebody else's music. But do I have to like it? What if I don't like it? What if I don't like the order you've done it? Now I can make my own playlist, and that's like loads better. But it's a gift that such a a, a, a veiled like this is what I think of you. Mm. That's terrifying. Mm. And what if you don't like gel with it? And how do you say to someone this this thing that I know you took a lot of time over because it used to take quite a while to make a mixtape. You're talking about romantic mixtapes. Yeah, my, yeah. Right. I've, I only got them from my male friends at school. I never got. Uh, oh, that's. Interesting. I never so there was got no pressure mixtape. like that. No, 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 no. They yeah. were all great. Thanks, Dan and Phil Stark. Oh, yeah. that's really nice. That's that's how it should be. Mm. I was only ever given them as, oh, I thought of you and I made this mixtape or it's our anniversary or whatever. And it's, right. oh my Jesus Christ. No, I, w- I, I wish I'd had a romantic mixtape <laughs> given to me. Yeah, oh, me too. You. I'll give I'll give you one. Thanks. Oh, and, you and a mixtape. Hey, <laughs> what? Oh, oh no! Twenty twenty three. You need one of those honky horn things. That's what you need. <laughs> oh yeah, we stop. We're going to need sound effects for this year. <laughs> I've got a laptop in front of me. Um, the the uh, they remind me though. I imagine this must have been what it was like if you went into Tarantino's video store yeah. in the eighties and the early nineties when he went there with Roger Avery yeah. I, I, I imagine these guys to be him for sure I mean there really is no difference if you boil it down between Barry and Dick and the workers in Empire Records on Monday they're people who yeah. look down on snobs. the customers yeah, snobs mm. um Dick was supposed to be played by David Arquette. Mm. Oh. David Arquette turned it down. It's, it's a good quote from Steve Pink saying, uh, Todd Luizzo, sorry, is the actor who plays him. He said, the thing about Todd that I love so much is that he's Jack Black's perfect opposite number. And I think that would have been hard for any other actor. Todd was like the yin to Jack's yang in a way that had so much authority. Jack could pick on Todd all he wanted. And Todd was kind of an immovable force of heart. He was kind of this force of serenity. Yeah. And it's true. No matter what he says, he's not going to, he's not going to wind him up enough to he'll lose it. Yeah. It's cool. It is cool. I was just mm. thinking about the gatekeeping thing. It's like, obviously like death by playlist now with like, you know, Spotify's lists are based on a mood rather than a genre. And it, you, you know, you end up in these plays where you're like, I don't like any of this. Like, why do you think I like this? <laughs> So does that make gatekeeping less or more prevalent? Because people that work in record stores or whatever can be like, no, I, I know what you like. I know. And also it's it's just maybe the, the people on that scene as well. Because if you went into an independent bookshop and you said, this is what I like, and a nice bookseller went, I think you'd like this. You'd go, oh, that's, that's cool. Right. That's, thank you so much. But there's something weirdly maybe more aggressive. There's no cool attached to books, though, in the same way there is to music. It's like there is bands that are cool and bands that aren't cool, whereas books are just books. You're saying books aren't cool. Oh, Alex, they Alex. are. <laughs> You're right, you're right. Richard Osman says... And you were going down the Osman Thursday Thursday route. Murder Club. Uh, they are very cool books. <laughs> cutting edge. The cutting edge Where's of literature. Where's my cash register sound effect? <laughs> I'm just going to go through Richard and Judy's book club list next time it's your birthday. Just get you warm off that. Anyway. All right, so then we've got, like, Laura... I'm, the way I'm going through the film is not quite chronological because she does quite a few pop-ins to get her stuff and all the rest of it. But... The core of this argument that they have in this section is, I think, very good all grown-up writing, which is that she has changed and he has 
it becomes stuck. Mm. And so they've gone, they've changed, you know, they've diverged by dint of him being stuck in the same place. And at first, mm. I was a, felt a bit cheated because he says to her, you used to have pink hair and you used to be badass and now you're a corporate shill or whatever. And you don't see pre-corporate Laura, you don't see this pink-haired version of herself or whatever. And I was like, oh, that would be a shame. But then I realised, I think that would encourage you to side with Rob because you go, gosh, you have changed. And that's not the point because Rob is a dick. So well, and, then, and then you'd be seeing the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah. Whereas she isn't. She's If she was at all like that, she's yeah. matured out of it. Yeah. Mm. Which is why the Caroline person at the end makes sense. Agreed. Oh, yeah, that's so good. And yeah, the fact it's really good. She hasn't changed, though. Laura. Yeah, I don't think she has changed. Rob just perceives her as having changed that's because, fair, yeah. because she's not doing what he wants to do Yeah, anymore. and she's changed her hair and yeah. that's it. But I think the inference is like her job is quite stuffy and she gets paid quite... He does He does one point mention her salary and he yeah. says, why would you want to be in a shithole like this? Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you. She just She's on her path and it was all, you know, she's probably quite upfront about it and he just doesn't like it anymore and he's looking for a way out. Um, but then later, via Joan Cusack and the reveal of Ian, what fucking Ian... We le- learn these Great. reasons. Yeah, it's very good. Did you have you seen the clip of the remake of the sorry the TV version with Zoe Kravitz in it? So they no. do you know about this? I know there's a remake. I, w- I watched the first episode. Was it good? Yeah, I liked it and thought I don't need to watch any more of this. I know, but it's this, a is, shame. this is quite good. I, yeah. I do that after I really like an episode. <laughs> I'll do. But it's very similar though. But okay. it's more or less yeah they've to the point that the writers have been trying to get some money out of them of this film and failed. Really? Yeah. That, that, reading all that arbitration stuff they did with Scott Rosenberg, and now it's happening again with this show. I do feel quite sorry for them. Yeah, they've been screwed over twice with this. this you'll be into, you like credit arbitration? I do. Dispute, but Scott Rose because it was old WGA rules. Scott Rosenberg was the first person to write an adaptation of a novel. The old rules were the first writer will always yeah. get credit. Yeah, those aren't the rules anymore. Because then they they asked him to take his name off, and he went. They he did. went yes, and then he changed his mind and yeah. went. Actually, no, I don't have to. No, and he said he even said I've got a good case for sole credit. So just be like more or less, just be grateful for sharing because mm. if I really went for it, Steve, you... Steve Pink said it's like we all went to the moon and then we came back and then Scott Rosenberg said he was on the moon with yes. us. How awesome <laughs> is that? I mean, I feel really bad for them. And then he goes on, he's like, "We didn't use your rocket, we didn't use your telescope, we didn't use your spacesuit. It wasn't that moon. And, and, you weren't on the moon with us." And they <laughs> even offered him their credit bonuses for him just to take his name off because they felt it was just such an injustice. And he was like, "No." And also, they, you know, they had this really bonding experience. They were really young when they did it. They, this was their scene this was their thing this was their shot Stephen Frears was their hero it's this unifying life changing experience and then at the last minute some dude is like and I was there too (laughs) it's it's a bit upsetting Um, so these are the reasons that Laura and Rob might always have been doomed so as you said he slept with someone else when she was pregnant he owes her money and he's been kind of looking elsewhere but then we do get his perspective which is he didn't know about the pregnancy Mm. I love the line about her leaving him doesn't make him five grand richer (laughs) which is excellent and she sort of tricked him into saying this stuff about looking elsewhere I don't side with him on that it's not a dirty lawyer's trick It's but it is presented as an open and honest conversation and then you repeat it to your best friend and he's like Andy's been looking elsewhere exactly that but, was my point earlier it's just you know it's what you say and how yeah. you say it yeah but you can see him realising that he is a bit of a dick at this point and this is when he says I'm an asshole and he's you know he's growing a bit but then he misses the point because the next thing he says is why am I doomed to be left 
and he has so he hasn't really grown. But that's fine. That's what the film needs. I don't want him to suddenly change. Like, I want to go on this um, the tour of the exes. So we're going to go on a tour of the exes because Bruce Springsteen also says it's a good idea. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen's here. I can't believe he's. Here. I mean, he's clearly not in the same room as John Cusack. No. But I can't believe he's here. Did you read the? It's so funny. So mm. you know, he started strumming away on the yeah. guitar. Someone. They freaked out because they're like, "We can't if you don't own that music. If that's an original Bruce Springsteen track, we have to cut the whole thing. So we well, can't like, afford yeah. to." Some, someone they had to nominate one of them to go over and tell Bruce Springsteen to stop playing the guitar, and he said he felt so ridiculous having to do that. But it was just in case. Yeah, because they can't afford it. They've got, and also every single time they showed the sleeve of an album, obviously used a track, they have to license it, so it's going to cost quite a lot of money. And the last thing they need is having to buy a Bruce Springsteen song. But wow. it's really funny. But if I was looking for a voice in my head to talk to me like that, mine would be Bruce as well. Oh, so I really nice. felt something here. He's, he's got so much wisdom. <laughs> Just generally, if you've read his autobiography, it's like, man, this guy is on another level. I it's think like the Yoda. Voice, the voice in my head is Richard E. Grant. I think he okay. tells me what to do. And you? Burt Reynolds. That makes sense. That's not good. <laughs> is it not? No. I don't think he's a good man. Fucking hell. Are you kidding me? Don't even go there. Burt Reynolds is a great Apparently he was a lovely bloke on the set of Boogie Nights, though, so that's fine. He just didn't know what he was getting into. <laughs> he was on the best, the best film you've ever done. <laughs> anyway, we've covered that. Smoking the Bandit. Uh, so we're going to go through the exes. So Alison married the boy that she left. They were only kids, uh, Rob, for. And then Penny, like, this is so rough. He almost, Rob almost ruined her life. She was subjected to a terrible sexual encounter and almost rape because her running with Rob had just left her so vulnerable to this sort of nonsense. Mm. And all he can say is, oh, God, yeah, of course. But I broke up with you, though. Yeah. I mean, no, she, she, does, she does have a pen light, though. That's so, if you've ever been, <laughs> they, people like, you're uh, not a proper movie reviewer. There was an old, there was an old oh. critic sitting behind me not long ago, and he, he'd have to click it twice to put it on and twice to turn it off. Uh, but and how did people used to do it? Excuse my ignorance. You just, no, you just do it in the dark. Yeah. You can't read back what you've written, but you can't have a light on in the cinema. But you can't see the lines of your notepad, surely. Yeah, you, so it's up and I down. I don't know how you're looking at me. Do you do me? Oh, you did. I apologise. <laughs> there you go. That's what it looks Jesus like. Right. That's what it looks like for five years. Did you? Did you? Yeah, but I know what Chris is talking about. You, yeah. you, you basically you write all these notes. That, and you that's literally my in the dark in the cinema notes. Oh, okay. So they're not on lines, but you, you might miss the few words. But it's enough that you all can right, get so the no leave it too lines. long before you revisit them. Yes. You've got no idea. You're in, you're in big trouble. You've got to do them quite soon afterwards. Yeah, the mention of rape. It's quite uncomfortable yeah. because she says it. it, it you know, I it mean, wasn't, it, it wasn't but... rape, and then she carries on. You like. Yeah. Oh, it sounds like it was. It sounds so. a bit rapey. It sounds it was. Yeah. yeah. It's all very unpleasant. And it's, but you, this, the film can allow for it. It's fine. It's just because Rob's reaction is cool, though. Mm. He, do, he doesn't, he cannot see that he's the bad guy. No. And that's fine. I'm into this film, but he is front and centre a bad dude. Like, that's the, the that's a fact. Mm. Uh, he's not ready for Charlie, so we go off to see Sarah. And I'm only laughing because you've just had one moment where he's absolutely awful. And it's funny. I, I'm not having a go at the film. She's in a very vulnerable place. She's on medication. So he kind of leaves her alone, but he has to let us know they definitely. Definitely could have nailed her, but mm. just did. <laughs> yeah, because it would be like shagging Adrian if you're not Rocky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and that would the the shag that he would have had with her would have been to avenge himself as well, which is, <laughs> which is really taking it quite far. But he didn't do it. Um, and at this point, you know, I'm with Rob. It's like you think you you think you're the good guy in this story, and you're not. That's what's so interesting about it. But um, and then Laura pops up and says there's a nine percent chance they'll get back together, and she hasn't slept with Ian. 
yet. Mm. Um, so he celebrates. Yeah. We hear we are the champions by Queen, mm. and he goes out and shags the first person he's in. <laughs> Marie. Well, I mean, it is Lisa Bonet, so yeah, so mm. fair enough. Rock and roll, but yeah, because he invented a sketch of a deep, sensitive guy because he was in a position to do that. Is I mean, that's, it's just it's just that's incredible. Just, that's just you, isn't it? <laughs> it's just incredible, and I will talk about it. Like, yeah. Alex. But no, but also we all know we're not stupid. This is the thing. Like, mm. we, no, we do the dance with ourselves. We're like, I understand what is being played out in front of me, and I can hear these words, and I am seeing the sketch of the sensitive, nervous guy. Do I give a shit or do I not? Alex, give a shit, have you ever hinted at the deep ocean of melancholy just below the surface? Yes, every you have. single day. <laughs> uh, it's all fun and games, that though. But the fact that he's talking about his ex for ages gets her into bed. Mm. That's not that worked. doesn't work. That's not worked in my experience. No. She has an ex as well, though. So she, it's sort of there's an equilibrium. There's a parity. They're both talking about their exes, and yeah. that's what draws them together. Just, yeah. Okay. No, agreed. Just whenever I've, I mean, I do it a lot. Yeah, but you'd bang on about it. No one else. It's all I've got. No one else gets a look in. It's like fucking. It. And, and then there was this one. And you. then there was this one. Oh, so I, I have an ex too. Shut up. <laughs> I'm talking. But do you, did you mean what you said before that you think it's bad that she sleeps with Ian? Yeah, I do. Okay. I think it's a weird. I think it's a weird thing to do to like to sort of go. No, I haven't slept. I I don't. I think it's the. I, I understand why it's in the film, and I understand how it works structurally, and it sort of gives him that moment to like throw his toys out of the pram, and then you know it affects him. But I do think it's a, it's a very str- it makes her seem crueler than she needs to be in this circumstance to say I haven't slept with him, and then almost in the next scene she goes. Yeah, I slept with him after after I saw how much it would affect you yep. if I slept with him. And in the sort of chronology of this, she's not really that happy with Ian slash Ray, we no. find out. So they're not in this like happy relationship at this point where obviously when she says, well, obviously it was going to happen, we're living together. It just feels like a really, they're too close together. These moments in the film where she goes, no, I haven't slept with him. He's happy. Yes, I have, yeah. And then she goes, yeah, I slept with but him. But she's already like a, a man down kind of thing because he cheated on her right at the beginning when she was pregnant. But she doesn't know that. She knows oh. he cheated on her. Mm. She knows right. he slept with someone else, sure. and that's kind of done. Mm. Sure, but this is this is where you get in. Like, but honestly, that then it's like, well, if you slept with someone else, I, I can sleep to. with someone else, and yeah. then we're okay because parity. Yeah. That doesn't. But that's that, is, thing, that is that is the road to ruin. Sure. But I also, but I definitely felt like I've had those thoughts in my head. Yeah, of embarrassingly, course. you know, going through a breakup, and I don't want you to shag anyone else, but I'm going to be looking. I almost but, certainly. But you, yeah. but you shouldn't shag anyone else because uh, I've got to make sure we've definitely fully broken up. Because also, but, he does have a thing about you know, ownership. You know, when he was talking about Penny Hardwick's boobs early on, he's like, you know, I own those kind of things. So why do I not get a look in? Mm. And that is ownership. Like I, we've broken up. I do not want you to sleep with anyone else but what I do is is immaterial. I feel like this exposes some of the most immature or unpleasant thoughts I've had in terms of relationships. Some of the some of Rob's behaviors I felt I could I understood and I could see them. Which yeah. is what I said as a half truth half joke at the start where I'm like, you know, the minute she sleeps with Ian, uh, I'm like Rob should not get back with her because she's done something which I feel intentionally is she knows will fucking hurt him. Yeah. And so the fact that he's like and now I forgive you is like, well, would yeah. you though? I don't know that I would. I think there's just something for everyone, isn't there? It, it highlights some n- nastier thoughts that you've had that you might not be comfortable with. The bit where he's talking about it's not what you're like, but what you like is just so triggering. I've had, you know, we've all had conversations mm. with men like that, and it's like I can't believe that someone's had the nerve to put it on screen yeah. because it's like behind the curtain. Like for a man to admit that it goes on is such a relief because <laughs> at one point we're like, are we going mad or are we being tricked? 
<laughs> but we are being tricked and now we know it. And we knew it anyway. So um, then he, yeah, he finds out Laura's slept with him. He has the nerve to store him off, which is just ridiculous. Mm. Uh, but then Charlie calls. And then I do love this bit where he says, oh, what's been going on? Have you got kids? And does she say, oh, you know, I don't. And I want to say this. So what is it? Time consuming? And he says... She, you know, she honestly talks like this, like no one's ever had a conversation about having. I just loved that. It wasn't at this moment. It's, it's. I think it's one of the funniest lines in it. It's, it's in the initial meeting with Charlie where he's outside her window and he goes, "Charlie, you fucking bitch, yeah, let's work, let's yeah. work it out." <laughs> um, and now Charlie hasn't changed at all, and he is delighted, kind of, to realise that in his opinion she's awful. Mm. She doesn't listen. She talks mm. shit. But then she tells him the truth because he's like, look, I am here on this sort of midlife, not midlife, but this sort of crisis thing. And she just straight up tells him the truth. Marco, the man I left you for, was less hard work. He was sunnier than you, sparkly than you. That's not shit. That's the truth. More glamorous. More glamorous. More, glamorous. <laughs> yeah. more, more sure of himself. So, but, but it's funny. She, you know, he's annoyed that she, he's saying that she's superficial and talks shit all night. Where to some people, Rob is superficial and talks shit all night. He, yeah. can't, he can't see it reflected back in himself sometimes. Yeah. But it's, it's, I mean, that line where he goes, they're not bad people. I'm not a class warrior. I think that's a great line because you initially oh, saw yeah, the thing. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Like these are all like he's like he's You'd be like, like an inverted. These aren't my people, yeah. you know. I'm real, and these are these are pretentious, privileged people. Yeah, and the right. fact that he's not tapping into that, he goes, no, they're just awful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's I true. Like that. I do too. For his, he lists his top five dream jobs here: uh, journalist for Rolling Stone, producer at Atlantic Records, musician aside from rap, film director, <laughs> and our favourite in movies, architect. Yay! <laughs> that means it's a rom com, everyone. <laughs> mechanical but also artistic yeah it's absolutely perfect just swap it out for carpenter at any point that, it doesn't matter I mean that would be my list although I wouldn't mind being a rapper I don't know what his problem is it seems a bit racist I, I think he's talking I'm about African American music haven't done it yet <laughs> <laughs> bone 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 <laughs> so he's realising that Laura was great and then just on cue which does happen in a lot of rom-coms actually someone dies her dad dies mm. um, and he understands he was never really committed he always in his words had one foot out the door which is learning and then uh, this scene I lo- I've always loved this this you know when you talk about feeling seen this makes me feel seen. Laura just really wants to bang him because she's sad. And mm. it's like, bloody hell. Like. Yeah, but it, but it gave me such unrealistic expectations of for funerals. what to expect <laughs> at the end of a funeral. <laughs> Genuinely. I was like, well, I guess this, I guess I'm going to bang. That's so funny. I, I was better like, wear nice underwear tonight. I watched it and was like, I really hope someone dies. <laughs> <laughs> it really just, stuck with yeah. me, though. It stuck with me. I, I used to get excited about funerals. Yeah, fair enough. But I understand. Is, is he, the bit where he sees two people say sorry to her yeah. and then he decides to go over and say sorry to her is that because he realises that that is the right thing to do and he hadn't known that was the right thing to tell until he sees other people do it I believe so okay, yeah. fine. it's not much of an apology but it, I guess it will do for now yeah. kind of thing um, I love it when she says I knew there was a reason I wore a skirt today <laughs> <laughs> so they're back on um but then he makes a tape for Caroline, this mm. manic Who is the manic girl. pixie? Yeah, yeah, write it down. I'm not a fan of it. I was surprised. This this last sort of like stretch with the putting on the gig and everything, 
I was quite happy for the film to end when they got back together. That felt like the natural ending. This bit feels it feels a little bit well, like, dragged out I, at I this guess, point. I guess the gig is about him moving on as well mm. in terms of his life, not not just romance, but like getting out of the record store. They, they, it's we see a future for him now. Yeah, maybe doing that, which I think is quite nice. And also, obviously, you, they want to end on a on a on a high, yeah. and that's what you know, we, uh, um, higher than sex at a funeral. Mm. And so, obviously, <laughs> you know, we're gonna get we're gonna get um him singing, but. Um, um, yeah, that manic pixie dream girl, Natalie Wood's daughter. Oh, really? Yeah, that's oh, the actress. Really? Yeah, yeah, Wagner. Um, I think they dropped the ball a bit with the act three because I think it's really well set up. Like Laura's like, I've got you this gig and you're going to do the DJing for old people. And then it all becomes about, is Jack Black going to fuck it up for him or not? And Oh, Jack Black's got an incredible voice. Like, it's fine and you've got to get out of the film somehow. But it's set up as a proper act three. Like, you're going to have 10 to 15 pages of, is this going to work? All the montage of getting ready and whatever. Mm. And it's just, it then all comes down to can Jack Black sing or not? That's what I mean. This entire film has been about Laura and Mm. his relationship and... And then we sort of get this sort of thing where the whole sort of focal point of the movie shifts. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. this I know this is a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, Caroline. I know that is like testing the resolve of him and, and whether he has changed and like and his relationship with Laura, but that feels like it plays second fiddle to yeah. and his I think, fears. I think you can maybe make all that stuff happen at the party as well. After Jack Black's sung, maybe there is a moment where Caroline and Laura and him and he and yeah. he has to make a decision and well, there's an you argument can't, and you can't lose the proposal scene. The proposal scene is really important, I think, because He's sick of all the fantasies and he proposes. And so Laura gets her agency back after being a bit shit on by the film, really. Not, you know, by Rob. It's not um, It's not the writing. It's just the way that he is to her. Mm. So she he essentially is turned down, but it's important to her that he asked. And I totally love that it doesn't end on like, let's get married. Like this will put a bow on it and everything will be fine. I feel optimistic for them. Uh, because they've they have reached an understanding, and he does appear to have grown up. And she hasn't. She even says to him like, "You're not such a sure bet, or whatever it is." But that's what she needs because the relationship has been a bit of a disaster, and all the rest of it. I just think it's a really smart, nuanced way of doing a proposal, which you kind of want, but without falling into the trap of going. She said yes. I just can't get past wondering what this was all about. Does he really love Laura, or was this just about his ego to it, prove to himself he can get her back? Is that because? Potentially, Rob and Laura don't appear to have that much chemistry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we don't, yeah, we we don't see them in happy moments. Mm-hmm. So I I, I I struggle to buy them as a couple. Yeah, which is really troubling. In <laughs> 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 a romantic comedy that I really like. Yeah. That is fair. I mean, it's interesting because Stephen Fraser, like, I saw a lot of American actresses and they seemed too cool or too grown up for him because he's a bit of a baby for Rob Gordon. And why would this go? They're all gorgeous, of course, and everyone in this is gorgeous, but like, why would this gorgeous woman who's really sorted be hanging out with you? Mm-hmm. And. And, and that is a problem. You said it's really difficult needle to thread because you've got mm. to find a woman that looks like she's got her shit together, which Laura does, but also would tolerate a person like that. And it's that's a really difficult. Yeah, they said balance. the reason they cast her was because of her bullshit detector. That she was an actress, a person who wouldn't have to speak for you to to tell that she can see through Rob's bullshit and she's yeah. not going to stand for it, which is what she need, what he needs. Right. But on that, on that, I just don't think I I leave this movie not convinced she's going to stick around. I think that, yeah. I think she's like that bullshit detector that she has means that you guys. I don't think she's that convinced by this. Yeah. And and uh, someone asked John Cusack that question and, and he said, in the end, I think Rob ends up with Laura. He has his final temptation, <clears throat> the grass is greener, him doing the same behaviours again, and then he realises that those are all phantoms in his head and that the woman he wants is right in front of him. Mm. And we just haven't properly seen evidence of that. Mm. It's a little bit the thing that a lot of <clears throat> films do, and you do have real conversations like this, when you know someone who is always either... 
Uh, what am I trying to say? There's, uh, what's it called? The musical chairs thing. So um, is this person asking me to marry him because it's, that's when the music has stopped and it doesn't really, it's not me, it's just the, this particular time in his life. And mm. we, we, I know couples a bit like that. And then you think, oh God, that's a bit sad. But actually, is that quite realistic and quite grown up and they will be able to, to grow old or do whatever they want to do together from a place of understanding? I don't know. But I I know what you mean. It's more about him, Sorry, which whenever you said that, it's more about his maturity than this particular relationship mm. maybe uh, anyway that's kind of it so then he's making a tape for Laura which I, I still find oh, aggressive Barry Jive and the Uptown Five. <laughs> yeah so what a voice surprise surprise Barry's voice is silky smooth mm. and he sings Let's Get It On and it is incredible well yeah it was definitely a surprise yeah and um, yeah it's, it's we are no longer Sonic Death Monkey <laughs> or, Ka- or Kathleen Turner Overdrive <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, you, you know, they recorded two songs, Alex. Did they really? Yeah, the other one was Sexual Healing. Oh, I would like that, actually. Yeah, um, we shot both of them, Kuzak said, and then ended up using Let's Get It On, which seemed much more celebratory and climactic. And I guess so. I guess maybe Sexual Healing. I don't know. Ah, they both work. They're both, yeah, quite interchangeable. They are, aren't they? They are. <laughs> like, not to disrespect the artists, but they're both very sexy songs. Yes. It's fine. Yeah. And that's kind of it. Um, do you feel optimistic for them as a couple? I've, I'm, I'm with you, Alex. I don't really think they're going to stay together, but I think this is the best shot their relationship has had in a long time, and that's good enough. Well, psychopath John Cusack says they do. Right? Yes, very. <laughs> do you want to disagree with him? No, exactly. <laughs> I don't want to be chopped into pieces. Uh, all right, shall we do the bits then? Sure. What's your best scene, Alex? Uh, I do like the bit where he's talking with uh, Liz and she says that he should stop sort of um, having a go at Laura and Ian because they're forming a unit. Yeah, that's so, that's so uh, true, though. It's them against you, which yeah. is so insightful. Once you give someone a call, so true. Yeah, it's that's like it. you mm. start going, oh, you and him, you and him, you and him. And then they're like, <clears throat> yeah, I guess it's us against him. And then they bond yeah. deeper through that they, they bond shared experience. Because of you. But uh, my best scene, which you didn't mention, I mm. thought you were going to mention okay. it. Is it going to be mine as well? I don't know. It's the one that you... I thought you were going to mention it because you said talked about his mum at the start, but it's this phone call with his mum. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I just... I love it where he... <laughs> just... It's so true where he's, he's... She's crying and he's like, I'm all right if that's what's making you cry. I just... I just think it's funny. It's so like... And she's not. She'll be crying because... His like, life's a mess. His life's a mess. <laughs> I'm all right if that's what's making you cry. <laughs> God damn it, shut up! <laughs> yeah, so I love that scene. Chris? Uh, yeah, sorry, that wasn't my scene. Uh, my favourite scene is um, when Dick hits Ian with the phone and knocks out his teeth. <laughs> um, it's, it's just... It makes me laugh so much. Sorry, it's an air conditioner it's not a phone um, it was Tim Robbins idea to have the teeth flying out of his head <laughs> uh, use little bits of chewing gum but um, they said it was just super important that it was um, Dick and not Barry because you'd expect Barry to be the violent oh, one yeah, yeah, and yeah. then in a dream it's Ian yeah, so yeah that'll never not make me laugh he's really excellent in it actually um well, mine is just the, you know, the... Um, and also, I'll give you a quote from John Cusack, which is giving away this thing about the sketch of the sensitive, nervous guy. Um, because um, John Cusack said, mostly I thought that if men were in a room and were given truth serum, they would probably tell you all that stuff. And it's like, mm. I fucking knew it! Like, we all know it! But it's just, it's gaslighting of, like, madness order. Mm-hmm. It just feels such a release to go, oh, thank God. Yeah. Okay. That, been, it's been there, fine. Done that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fine. We don't care. You do your little dance. Do you? There's certain hand gestures. It's like you know, I feel feelings. It's fine. We can handle it. We don't mind. Everyone does 
a little dance, but don't pretend that's who you are. Yeah, because women never mess about. Well, no, that's what I mean. We all do, we all do shit. That's well, right. Always got their cards on the table, haven't they? <laughs> Bloody hell. I'm saying we all Fucking do hell. We all do stuff, but oh. we. it's nice to get the little, you know, the truth serum kind of thing. Sure. It is. Uh, what's your most valuable whatever, Chris? Um, I mean, it was nearly Bruce Springsteen, obviously. Uh, but no, it's it's got to be Jack Black, hasn't it? It was it was an, it was like an explosion on the screen. It was like some frigging special effect. It was the Tasmanian Devil showing up, and he absolutely steals the film. Is she in a coma? <laughs> that line. <laughs> Don't tell anyone you've not got blonde on blonde. Have you both got blonde on blonde? I do. Yeah, and I've had it a long time, which makes me cooler than you. Alex is shaking his head. <laughs> but I said yes. I know what he's getting. For Christmas, you would be getting that for Christmas if LPs weren't so expensive. Now oh. you can have my copy. Oh no, wait, you can't because it's an original. So. <laughs> From the 1960s, she bought that. <laughs> I inherited it. Serious. I'm being oh. serious. Oh, yeah, that's no. cool. Yeah, oh, um, I know. I'm she's, sorry. She is fucking Rob. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the deleted scenes with Beverly D'Angelo? No, and how Ramis wasn't it? Yeah, he got cut out. I don't. Mm. I didn't see his scenes. I Beverly, think he was playing her, uh, Rob's dad. It's a really. They're like, this is such a cool scene. We can't believe we got cut out. I it's actually boring like right. it's really boring he just Why goes down to her house she's a scorned wife and she tries to sell him her ex's record collection for $50 and it's worth like $50,000 or whatever and he says no oh. so he does a real good guy thing yeah because we see that phone call in it, don't yes. we? Right, so that's still yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay. Did we do your MVW? No, Nick Hornby. Uh, oh, that's nice. You know, because it wouldn't exist without him. And I remember reading the book, and I don't have a problem with it being moved to Chicago at no. all. I kind of would have liked to, because Camden was my stomping ground when I mm. first moved to London, so it would have been nice to have gone, oh, fucking hell. Maybe man. they'll make it, because they did two good versions of Fever Pitch. Mm, yes. Can be done, one English one, an American one. Yeah. Um, mine is, when I first saw it, it was Jack Black by like a thousand miles, because it, like you say, it was just astonishing. But this time it's John Cusack even though it's confusing if he was any other actor not any other actor another actor who wasn't likeable in that weird <laughs> psycho way that he is likeable I'm not sure I'd be able to get through the film because I really dislike Rob Gordon intensely mm. and I like and I really like this film so it's down to him uh, what would you change, Alex? Yeah, well, following on from that, I went early with mine, but it's I would like to unhear the Danny Trejo interview <laughs> where he describes what a psychopath and dead-eyed monster but John Cusack is. confirmed what you already thought. Yeah, I, well, I don't know. I think I, maybe this interview is like, because I want to go, yeah, it's Cusack, though. He's lovable. He's like a big puppy. Yeah. Rob Gordon's fine, but I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> No, no. That and the fact that, I, I, as I said, I don't think Laura should say, I haven't slept with him and then sleep with him. Yeah. What about you? Um, I've got two, actually. I, I would say... I have two. You can have two. I would say, um, I don't... It would be less funny but more interesting if Ian wasn't such a caricature. Yeah. And obviously some of these are dream sequences and fantasies, but I think if it was someone... A, I, I, it's funny that he's threatening because of his sexual prowess, mm. but also I feel like he should he should have a job uh, that, that, that Rob wants or be a cool guy or something, or be a nice guy that Rob actually likes. Like a proper thing. Yeah. yeah. Really whereas, interesting. whereas this, you know, this hippie dippy dude, I don't buy Laura liking him and I, it's just he doesn't seem real. True. Yeah. Um, good. But I, also, I would like. Um, I don't think Laura seems that real when she returns uh, with him. She, you know, when she takes him back after the funeral shag, and it's all just suddenly perfect. I don't think he's earned that. I don't think. I mean, Alex would probably say Rob deserves better. I think she deserves better. So at the end, I think we should realise that Laura was a figment of his imagination, and he's just very much alone <laughs> and, and, a and a psychopath. My change is similar to yours, Chris, in that. 
Act three uh, needs to be about uh, winning her back or them reaching a place of solidarity together, whatever it is. So he said, you know, she's not this is too obvious. But basically, she's like, you you never you're stuck. You don't ever do anything about your dreams. And he's like, I'll show you. And he puts the thing on and she goes to the thing and she's like, OK, I can see you've changed. Let's give it another shot. That's it. Perfect. Good Very show. good. Lovely. Lovely. Anyone fancy a verdict? Sure. Good, because it's time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! Uh, Vicky. Yeah. Uh, which was your favourite film? It's High Fidelity. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I was going to try and do a switcheroo straight to, to you. Uh, and it didn't, I couldn't figure it out. You just words, did it properly. Words yeah. come too fast. <laughs> what was your favourite film? It's High Fidelity, Chris. Okay, yeah. Um, Empire Records is a mess. The tone is all over the place. Uh, the casino it throws you off you think it's magical the kids are annoying the grown-ups tolerate the kids and then you've got these drug mm-hmm. issues and you've got self-harm and suicide as long as we're all agreed that Rob Gordon is a dick otherwise I will vote for by records <laughs> just to piss you off but if we're agreed he has got a journey to go on during this film which he does go on then obviously it's high fidelity mm. Alex uh, so uh, well, last week, our first Fanuary of the year was, uh, to my mind, the hardest verdict in the history of Clash Pod. <laughs> uh, this is an easy one. Mm. Uh, one of these films I watched when I was too old, uh, when I watched it for the first time, so it offers no nostalgia for me, and now just feels like a weird collection of scenes and manufactured sentimentality. The other, I was actually too young, I think, when I first watched it, and hadn't been through the relationship ringer nearly enough for it to connect with me. That has somewhat changed now, and by God... Did High Fidelity resonate with me and then some? So my vote goes for High Fidelity. Which means we have a winner. We have a winner, but is it three for three? I mean, obviously, yeah. uh, for all the reasons you say. Um, but it's that, you know, watching Empire Records with more of a critical mind this time. It's what you say, Alex. It's that thing of exploiting the fashion and the music and the people of that period and repackaging it and selling it back to us. It, it reminds me of Free Guy. Mm. Hate to bring that up again. Oh, wow. Because that went well the first time. <laughs> That's so brave, Chris. <laughs> but it's a God walks among us. <laughs> It's the establishment trying to be anti-establishment and it doesn't ring true in the same way that something like, obviously, as you said, Clerks did or Slacker did or even something like Swingers did. I mean, so, and also the characters in Empire Records, it's just stereotype central, isn't it? Whereas I actually believe some of the characters, especially Rob. Yeah. He feels real to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, So it makes it a better film. It's got a better script and a better soundtrack. We didn't really talk about many of the songs on High Fidelity, Mm -hmm. but it's a really, really good soundtrack. And so for all those reasons, obviously three for three, High Fidelity. So from now on, on Clash Pod, April the 18th, it's Rob Gordon Day. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. <laughs> yes, we do have a winner. And that winner is High Fidelity. But don't forget, you can have your say and tell us how right or wrong you think we got it when the listener poll goes up on Twitter at ClashPod. Right then, next week, Fanuary Part 3. Another pairing suggested by one of you. I gave the clue. You put one on the other or disaster. So... You put water <laughs> on fire. Water. <laughs> so, from 1972, we are doing the Poseidon Adventure versus from 1974, the Towering Inferno. Uh, Poseidon Adventure is available loads of places, uh, pretty much everywhere, and Inferno is available to rent on Apple and 
Amazon. So that is your pairing for next week. We'll announce who picked her on the shows, but do your homework. Poseidon Adventure versus the Towering Inferno. In the meantime, do subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Try and leave us a review if you have time. It takes two seconds and it's really useful and helpful and we'd love that. And uh, we'll speak to you again on Monday when we cover the Poseidon Adventure. Have a lovely weekend. Bye-bye. Clash of the Titles is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.